Hello and welcome to the Health Hacks podcast, the podcast for high-performing professional females looking for practical ways to optimize all areas of their health and wellness. At Health Hacks, we understand that as a busy female, you wear numerous hats throughout your working week. You're trying to juggle it all, while also looking to carve out time to prioritize your own goals. It's challenging. It's therefore our mission to channel your energy into the areas that are going to help give you the biggest bang for your buck, to really make significant changes to your lifestyle in the most efficient way possible. So at the moment, if you feel as though you need more energy, you want to feel more productive to improve the quality of your sleep, to lower stress, to increase confidence, to show up better in both your personal and your professional relationships, this podcast is for you. If it's time you prioritize your health, learn to fuel your body, found time for exercise, and said goodbye to fad diets and inconsistent behaviors for good, this podcast is for you. If it's time for you to step into the shoes of the high performer you know you can be, this is the right podcast for you. Join me and my guests as we take you through the Health Hacks podcast. If you've been following me for a while, you may be familiar with today's guest, Paul Dermody. Through his coaching work, Paul has achieved life-changing weight loss results with his clients, but the reason he's been on the podcast now multiple times, the reason I love his message so much, and the reason he's had such a huge impact on me over the last few years, both personally and in my coaching style, is because Paul has a voice in the world of health and fitness that is very unique. He has one of the most logical, rational, and inquisitive approaches to coaching that I've ever come across. And in a world where everything is so fast-paced and we're constantly talking about optimizing and maximizing and being productive, he has a completely different approach and it's allowed him to have a huge positive impact in healing his client's relationship with food by connecting them with their values, exercising moderation and taking ownership of dieting decisions. If you're someone who feels that their relationship with food isn't necessarily where you want it to be, perhaps you've struggled binge eating, emotional eating, you find yourself mindlessly grazing, constantly going on crash dieting cycles, this podcast and this episode is 100% for you. You'll hear in today's episode that there are a lot of similarities in our coaching ethos and how we work with our clients, but Paul has a real way with words and can put ideas across in such an articulate and often poetic way, much more than I can. And you're really going to enjoy it today. The conversation is a little bit different. It's one of those episodes where I think because we've done this so many times now on, on both platforms and we're very comfortable and diving into these topics with each other, it's very conversational, very back and forth. There wasn't a set script or uh, structure with today's episode. We are simply having a conversation. And for me, it's one of those where you almost forget that 
the recording button has been hit, that there's a microphone in front of you, you're just having a, a chat with a friend, but you're going to find this really valuable if, as I say, any of the, the above points are applicable to you. Paul has such experience with working with clients all over the world uh, to give you insight on healing that relationship with food. As ever, if you have enjoyed the podcast so far, the episodes that we put together for you every single week, or you particularly like this recording, there are three ways that you can support our platform. And ultimately, the more we can grow our platform, the more ears we can reach, the positive message that we can spread, the more people we can ultimately help. There are three ways to help support us. You can subscribe share or like on your podcast platform of choice give us a star rating you can share on your social media platform we do like to see how far the podcast reaches across the world i get the stats behind the scenes but it's, it's amazing to see it on social media or you could share with someone send to someone who you know who is in your circle uh, perhaps someone that you've had a conversation with recently who has expressed an interest in improving their relationship with with health and wellness and the podcast would be a great place for them to start so there's three ways to support us and if you are interested in one-to-one coaching with either myself or a member of my team I know summer is coming perhaps you have a trip planned a, a big occasion sometime over over the summer months and you'd like to make a change you're interested in coaching get in touch the best way to do so is to look at the show notes below there are contact details there the best the most efficient way for us to connect is over a 50 15-minute discovery call, chance for us to get to know each other, for me to find out more about you and your current lifestyle, but crucially where you want to go for the remainder of 2023. Okay, without further ado, let's dive into today's episode with Paul Dermody. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Health Hacks podcast. Today I am so pleased to be joined by friend of the show, Paul Dermody. Paul, I went through the records and it looks like we, we, this is an annual event, us sitting down and recording. We've done uh, an episode pretty much every year since I, since I started. So anyone who's been following me for a while will be very familiar with you, but welcome to the show, Paul Dermody. How are you? It's my pleasure. Thank you. I am very well. Um, Keeping good. What about you? I am absolutely fine. Even better to be sitting down today. I really like podcast recordings for that. I really do. Sometimes when things are crazy in the week, but you know you have a time where you can sit down, you can have an amazing conversation. And I know from our recordings before, you're going to add a load of a load of value. But it's really nice to to be here to go through um, with you something that we are both topic that we're both very familiar with and I think we'll both be very comfortable to dive into around dieting mentalities but before we do that Paul I wonder if for anyone new to you you could give the listeners some context who you are what you do sure so not dissimilar to yourself I work in the fitness space I have been working with a lot of clients who are trying to break what you might call yo-yo dieting, crash dieting, basically people who feel like they've been on and off diets their whole life and are looking to finally get results, but not with that typical diet mentality. If you don't yet know what that means, that probably sounds like double Dutch and it feels a bit foreign to you. But um, 
I try and help people uncover their own value system, basically in, in, in nutrition, if you like. I think to give a rather crude analogy off the bat, I think it's one thing to understand safe sex and the consequences of sex. And that's always the analogy that I use. And it's another thing to know that what, when, and who gets you going. And the latter is something that I think coaches and trainers have no idea in the context of food. It's better to understand your own values and insights. And I think that's been missing from the diet industry for years. We, Me and you can teach people about calorie balance and all that stuff all day long. I think you'd probably agree with this. It's probably the least interesting aspect of the job in many respects. Like counting proves you can count and that's fantastic. I don't want to diminish that by any means, but there's, there is, there is a real need for people to uncover their personal motivations, personal values. And, um, I've been kind of trying to help clients for the last few years go through that. I've had some successful with a lot of kind of, ex- I've had some success, pardon, with a lot of say extreme weight loss cases and and people who have had significant weight changes to lose. But but the biggest thing for me is when somebody genuinely few, views food and dieting a bit differently, just to give a tiny bit more context, something that's had a profound impact on me. I left Ireland where I'm from, if you can't tell by the accent, the, for Vietnam and for Spain. And Vietnam has the lowest rate of obesity in the world. I don't know if you knew that. And Spain has the notorious Mediterranean diet. And I've noticed that none of my Vietnamese or my Spanish friends ever demonize an ingredient. They never demonize a food. They all drink alcohol in modest amounts. They basically do absolutely everything that, say, we in the in the West say don't. But yet we seem to be psychologically, emotionally, and physically worse as a result. And I, I think that's the that the biggest lesson I've taken, say, from travels that I've applied to coaching is your perspective lens, your upbringing, so much of that kind of outlook plays into your dietary philosophy. And, um, you know, this would be just theory from a textbook had I not gone further afield and seen it for myself in action. So I'm just kind of trying to take those parts of me that I learn from around the world, from people, from quote unquote, the science, if you like, and bring it into a very applicable real world sense for my clients so it's caroline knowing you it's not dissimilar than the work you do yourself even though if it comes from a slightly different perspective you know i've my vietnamese travels and exploits and you have your own history in life but i would imagine philosophically we sing from the same script a lot yeah absolutely and one of the reasons i love having you on paul and the reason that i whenever I have a client who's struggling with their relationship with food. There's various resources I will send them to and uh, conversations that I will uh, focus them towards. And one of them is one of them is a podcast of yours. But a lot of what we talk about are principles that I initially learned from you. And I've said this before in a podcast, you were the first person to open my eyes to a different definition of diet and because I came to you of a really uh, difficult relationship with food and extreme dieting and photo shoot prepping and all of these things all these stupid things that we've both done in our early 20s I know you went down the competing road didn't you and I didn't know any different and I think one of the things that surrounding myself I think with your voice and your message it was almost like that spark that catalyst that 
rabbit in a headlight moment of, oh my God, it doesn't have to be like this. And I think that's always why for me, it's been, it's been huge and it's been massive. And everything that you've just said there is, um, is a testament to how considered you are um, in what you allow to come into your, into your world. You're very considered in your experiences and how, and, and taking the best bits out of, of those experiences. And I think putting them in a way that helps your clients too. So you pulling the best bit out of your travels and saying, well, actually look at this relationship with food that this um, society has. It doesn't have to be this way. Why don't we think about it in this context? Well, thank you, by the way, that your words are very lovely. Um, I will say, I've, I've said this to so many clients that I currently have, and I'll obviously say it to you, no coach is capable of pulling wisdom out of anybody that isn't willing to see it. So it's a testament to where you were and where you are, that obviously there was that streak in you that knew there was something else. It just needed a catalyst for some kind of, just that little bit of ignition. You know, there's another way. Um, but yeah, I mean, to to the point of what you're saying about the the adding layers, I think that's probably one of the hallmarks of of a good trainer, someone with a growth mindset is you don't want, you know this, you don't want to make your clients mini Caroline, mini Paul. That's that's not the goal. You're not trying to put your projections onto people. You are trying to, in some ways, you're trying to lead people to a greater understanding of themselves. Like there's, I'm by no means stepping into the role of psychologist or therapist with, with clients where I'm not qualified to do so. But if we talk about the actual baseline of a relationship, I really like the respect, the the therapeutic style process of a client can come to someone and there's no judgment. The The space is very much between where the person is at and where they'd like to go. I, I like that. I admire that. I don't know if it's a trainer's job to judge. No, I don't think it's a trainer's job to judge anybody. And I mean this, and I think this has come a little bit more with age. If I came to somebody where I was struggling and it just doesn't happen to be my diet mentality anymore, I just wouldn't like that person to to use very belittling and passively shaming language, even if that wasn't the intention. And I do think that that can be a lot of the messaging from the fitness industry. Um, but but to kind of go on to a different point, because you've also reminded me of something when you said about the photo shoots. Did you find when you were struggling that the outcome you thought that you were going to get was the very thing that maintained the need for rigidity in your diet. For example, did you find when you were younger that really low calories, strict intake of food, not breaking your food rules, not stepping outside of adherence, that one day you would find that body image that you were looking for and it was just a few more days of this crazy diet away? The only reason I ask that is I've been wrestling with that thought that these strict-ass diets are what maintain these crazy body image ideals. and. Um, I don't know if that's something that you've been consciously thinking of or not. It's not a time in my life that I actually like to think about. And I'm not saying that to be evasive. I actually was so ill-informed and so... I didn't have the ability to form my own opinions or my own thoughts. Mm. And I think maybe, and I'm thinking about that, a bit of me doesn't like that acknowledgement that I wasn't able to think for myself. 
and I wasn't able to. Of course, we were always striving and there was that sense of accomplishment that you starved yourself for another day and am I looking better this week? And I'm like, but it's all hollow and we know it's hollow. And if that's anyone who's done it will know, but it's not a time in my life that I actually feel very proud of. And I don't like to think about it. It's interesting. I can definitely see your point. I look back at my time doing shoots and shows and I don't quite have the same feeling, but there's very little about it on my social media. I don't tend to share it. You probably wouldn't even know I done shoots or bodybuilding thing in my Bob's based because I know a lot of fitness people build a career on that. But I do agree with you. Uh, it takes me back to a time where I had a stunning lack of critical thinking. Like I would hear, you know, go zero carb and I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll try that. Well, that sounds good. And then I was just walking myself into more disordered eating patterns. And I think it's part of the reason I'm so passionate now about helping people break free from this strictness and trying to get people's critical thinking gauges a little bit higher because I know what it's like when you think there's one way and one way only and you're dieting yourself out of the hole that you've just dieted yourself into. And it's so insane. Do you have, do you spend more time asking clients questions than answering them i think so do you, know, do you know what i mean by that yeah i think so um example should i eat this cake i don't know are you are you thinking that it's a nice quick solution to your dinner because you couldn't be bothered cooking because maybe not is it your friend's birthday it could be the best option uh I think the question that you're usually presented with initially tends to be what is colloquially referred to usually from one of the rules of diet culture. I'm not sure how I feel about that term, but let's go with it. There's a lot of quote unquote traditional diet culture questions that are, this is not to belittle the asker. This is to put responsibility onto the message itself, I guess, or whatever way you want to phrase that. The question of surface of like, should I eat this? Can I eat this? Is this healthy? Is this good? And those questions are just so impossible to to answer. One of my clients just messaged me saying, "You're going." I never saw. I never thought I'd say this to a trainer, but I'm so proud of myself. I just had a on the go pizza because my kids are sick in hospital. It was all that was in the house. I was really worried. I ate it, and I'm just back to my habitual diet without the guilt. And this is the kind of the real life you've been warning me about. And I was thinking, that's amazing. That's that's a reflection of, say, values, because you value your kids so that when something happens to your kids, like you can't tell me weight management is the number one value in your life when you have children. It's something I would struggle to believe. So weight management can coincide with your children's lives, but your children probably take precedence. And if something happens to your kids and then weight management has to go below them and then you make a decision, that doesn't mean that you're neglecting weight management and that's it. It's over. It means that your kids went to that value above weight management for that decision. And that just sounds very logical to me. Similarly, if I go out for a pint tonight, okay, nourishment falls down three, four places in the hierarchy, but social health might climb up to the top for that value, for that decision. So I think individual questions are usually quite surface level. And, and again, not to shame anyone that's saying these things. It's more the actual, we need to actually find out a bit more about it. And um, yeah, I find myself asking more questions because I analogize it again. It's kind of like saying, do you get pregnant when you have sex? Maybe, yes. When should I have sex? I don't know the answer to that question. Let's figure out how to do it well, and then you figure it out. I don't know what cranks your chain. I don't know who does it, and I don't know the circumstances. So, you know, it's the same concept. Yeah. 
I think as well, to go back to that example that you just gave, that to me is an example of, say you're working with a client and there becomes this, let's call it like a tipping point where behaviors that they potentially would have engaged on that they would have given a red flag or they may have come to you and said, oh my goodness, Paul, I can't believe I've done this. You know, I feel so awful. And this is, that behavior was, um, uh, was wrapped in, in guilt and, you know, the, the potentially um, a catalyst for uh, further negative behavior. That's a client coming to you and actually in this context, it's a huge green light, I would call it for you in saying, actually you engaging in that behavior shows me so much growth. Yeah. Previously, it would have been a, something that you would have um, a negative. Now we're looking at it as this huge, huge plus this huge positive. And that for me, when things like that happen, Sometimes clients don't even realize they're, it's it's happening. They might, uh, we fill out a, a check-in form every single week. Maybe they'll write something and to them, they're writing almost an apology, almost a, I'm sorry that this happened. To me, I read it and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased to read that. I'm so proud. Look, like, look at this, not in a patronizing way. Look at, the, um, to me, that is a, a huge step forward. I think that's an interesting dynamic. And I suppose it, I was thinking earlier about about you and the work that you do and, and your message. Do you struggle to define, you used the word trainer there when you were describing our industry, if you were, do you struggle to define who you are or your job role or your position? Uh, yeah, I just say trainer now because it's easier, especially when, you know, your party answer, what do you do? I'm a trainer because I like to think I'm more of a teacher, I guess. I don't know what the word I'd put on it is, but do you know, I have a client. She would be very okay with me sharing this because she's been on my podcast. Her name is Jean. She's very comfortable with this story, but she has lost life-changing weight. And she jokes with her friends that she doesn't know what we do because we don't talk about calories. We don't quite talk about macros. We don't really talk about food. We kind of just talk about personal values and like ideas around food and structure and routine. So when people see her eating maybe a croissant or, you know, liquid calorie, something that's traditionally demonized, they think that she's performing some kind of witchcraft, but obviously the devil's in the details and the dose. So yeah, I kind of do struggle to defi um, define it in, in some ways, but I'm okay with that. I actually don't think, I do think labels go against the human spirit. So, you know, it's being a trainer is just one aspect of my personality and it's just one aspect of my personality today. And I don't know who I'll be in the future. And I kind of like not feeling like I'm pigeonholed into this role. It just allows me to go with the flow and do more things in life. You know, you mentioned a moment ago, really lovely wording that interestingly, when clients check in with you, that they're almost apologetic to a specific behavior. I, I, I see that so much. Did you have, I know you don't love to reflect on it, but I'm going to ask anyway, when you were coming out of your phase, did you have any specific moment or eating endeavor or behavior where you thought, holy shit, I'm changing here. I've gone from apologetic and guilty to this is very normal. I can do this. This is what it should be. I'll ask you, did you ever have any fear foods when you were dieting? Everything. Everything that wasn't white and green. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a couple there were things that were fear foods for me. Um, and when I was able to have those and not associate them with, uh, with a 
cheap meal or yeah it didn't spiral into anything. but for me it was specific foods it was I adore almond croissants like they are literally like I would move heaven and earth for the perfect almond croissant but I just wouldn't I had this almost don't even look at them wouldn't even you know walk on the side of the street as the bakery behavior literally because I, I I loved them so much, but it was just something I would never let myself have. Mm-hmm. And I I go to a bakery on a usually on a Sunday with my dog now every single week. And I go there and I have something that I enjoy. I sit down. I go to this particular place because you don't get Wi-Fi. So you can't use your phone. There's no signal. And I go there and I have a coffee and I order whatever I want to have. But I suppose I, then there were specific foods for me very, very specific that I just wouldn't go anywhere near. And they really induced this almost frenzied feeling even in being in my line of sight, which is awful to say it really is, but it's true. It's sad because I think there's still a lot of trainers who live that way. And because they have the sexy external, the distorted eating pattern is somewhat glorified, where actually the responsibility of, say, being broken is on the client and the consumer when really if you were to actually look at the personal life of the influencer or the trainer it's it's the that person that's exhibiting the bad behavior so like the results of why say myself or yourself would have found yourself in these patterns is essentially trying to get to an idealistic physique with maybe information that didn't actually cater to the psychological element uh, i don't think you or I are responsible for someone's body image, but I think it has to be catered before we give advice. So if someone comes to you, and I, I, I can see in your eyes, you know this, this is not news to you. And they say something that immediately lights up your red flag radar. I think it's up to us as trainers to say, I don't think you're ready for this so-called fat loss phase. And you probably have seen where people will take an element of flexibility and have a bad week. And then ask, can they tighten up? I think I need something stricter this week. And I find that very fascinating. It, it's it's an attempt to gain control, but really it's probably really failing to deal with the absolute terror inside of them that there is no control. So I find I find all that quite fascinating when you're talking to people. It's part of the the uniqueness of kind of coaching when you're you're talking to somebody, for example. And isn't it terrifying? that somebody can see something in me or in you within probably 20 or 30 minutes that we've been avoiding for the last five years. And then it gets challenged and you're not ready to let go of it and part with it yet. And I'm not saying it's a coach's responsibility to do that. I mean, it, it isn't. It, it's not the responsibility to spot things that you haven't said. But sometimes you can see it. And I think it's our job to make sure that we don't. But first, do no harm. You know that principle. Ultimately, yeah. Well, first and foremost, I think that there's always, there's a reason someone comes for coaching. There's a reason someone will seek you out. Hopefully, firstly, because they identify with your message, first and foremost, and because they believe wholeheartedly that you're the right person to guide them through a process, which can very often feel, for want of a better word, disorientating. It can't. Um, So yes, people will come to you, but there's a very different set of circumstances when someone thinks they want coaching but then you let's say you challenge them but you bring ideas maybe to their attention which can be difficult to 
see for the first time, if it is your first time facing up to it. And it is our role, I think, to do it in a way that is, we're never berating anyone. And we're never, um, I always like as well to, when I'm pointing something out or making a an observation is to follow that with rationale and some kind of strategy so it's it's pointing something out but it's not just saying it and leaving it it's okay here's potentially and I always caveat this may be what is what's happening correct me if I'm wrong because we can spot things as you say and I think once you've worked with so many people there are themes and threads common themes and threads that you don't always know what's going on in someone's head yeah I I recognize that totally agree and you know you mentioned a moment ago when you challenge someone um you'll often see where people have crashed dieted for so long that between their words something I'm always trying to do is find that gap between what they say versus what they haven't said and what they mean and part of that might be if this if this doesn't make me suffer in the way that I'm used to being tortured by some kind of dietary approach I won't think this is working uh, and you mentioned about coaching there there is there is that instance where somebody doesn't want to be coached inherently they want to be tortured the exact same way that their last diet plan tortured them and I think that's that's part of helping people break a cycle is trying to shine light on when when I was coming out of I I when I was coming out of my bodybuilding phase say my relationship with food ended up worse for it. I don't blame bodybuilding. I blame my own ideals. And I signed up with a trainer in the US. Now, on a personal level, I wouldn't have a lot of wonderful things to say about him. But he was a good trainer, looking back. And he put me on 500 grams of carbs a day. And I was coming from someone trying to do zero. So that was a very challenging thing. But I did it. But on the first week, I don't know why. I don't know why this happened. But on the first week, it was a zero carb. It was like so many grams of fat and zero carb. And I just, I, I couldn't stick to it. So on about day five, I had a bowl of porridge and he just emailed back on stick to the plan. That wasn't it. I remember thinking, this guy's a dick. I'm really struggling. Like you, if I punched him in the face with something that tattoo, tattooed him saying, I'm really struggling here, it wouldn't have been more obvious, but it, it didn't land and yada, yada. But anyway, eventually after some turbulent coaching he put me on 500 grams of carbohydrates or he told me to have it and I was terrified and all of a sudden I lost weight and I think the biggest thing I learned from it was I stopped binging so I was afraid of 500 grams of carbs because it was 2,000 calories but that 2,000 calorie plus per day became a net decrease weekly because I wasn't binging anymore and I'm, where I'm going with this story is sometimes I will often suggest to clients that they increase their food intake. And I'm not a big man for having people track calories and macros. It's not because I don't think it's a good strategy. I think power to you. It's just I'm seeing less and less of its utility over the long run is where I'm currently at with this. But sometimes when you do ask someone to increase their eating, I don't think they're realizing that you're asking them to increase daily. So it'll become a weekly and a monthly decrease because immediately the excess hunger stops, the craving stops, the food preoccupation stops, the just constantly being wrapped up in what can I eat? What can I get away with for these poverty calories? So he, he did that for me, which I'll always be grateful to him for. Um, but yeah, that was one of the biggest things that the, I guess being coachable, I'm not a very coachable person. I think that's the thing I've learned about myself. And if you're not actually coachable, 
it's going to be very difficult for you to take on wisdom. I think I'm coachable in terms of if if there's a a presence online or a book or a mentor or somebody who really does captivate me with something, a piece of wisdom that like they were willing to share. And I think that fits into my life. I'll happily accept it. But if someone kind of comes into my life now and says, look, we're going to do this, this is going to optimize this. I'm like, "Mm, no. So I think that's the thing I've learned about myself. So if you don't feel you're coachable, sometimes it's actually not the right time for you to actually make the changes that you're looking to make. And I think that's okay too, you know. Sometimes I know that I'm not going to be the coach that is the one that makes the impact. Yeah. That's such and a I really good point. I just said that, but sometimes I know after a short time that I am not the one that's going to change someone's life. And this, sorry, this sounds like a very dickish thing to say, but it isn't because of my coaching per se. It is because the person is not in the right position at this point in time. I may not be the right fit for them. Fine, hands up completely. I might not uh, have the right style for them. Again, that's different strokes for different folks but sometimes it's very very obvious that with the best intention in the world someone has invested in a coach but they're not in a position to do it and I think Paul what you just said having known you now for a long time um the reason that you aren't swayed by noise I believe is because you have absolute clarity on your values and I don't believe a lot of people do and that's why they aren't able to listen to advice, guidance, and either adopt it or not. They will just try and adopt everything. So it's the difference between being a sponge and soaking up all the noise versus having a shell and being able to allow things to bounce off. I think you're so spot on about general value creation. I mean, I do like to think of myself as someone quite clear on on values, but in essence, rather than making this just about me and my values, I'll take an opportunity to to really tell you why I think values are so vital. So I have a couple of friends who get really caught up in these kind of stories that, you know, my, my dad's out to get me. He doesn't believe in me. My, my sister hates me. And, you know, that person commented on my food and they're a terrible person. And I do think when you get clear on values, you get you tend to get a lot more tranquil to the outside noise because you you first and foremost, I think you give th- you interpret things a bit more charitably. So if somebody does make a slightly wayward comment towards you, you can see it that that might be their limitation or it might be a fear they're contending with, or it might be just ignorance, or it might be a little bit of malice. But I think if malice is the first place you go to, it might be a reflection on you rather than them. I think you don't attribute to malice what can be assigned to stupidity. And if you can have compassion for your fellow brother and sister, I think it's just a nicer way to live. I also think when you have values, you become much less influenceable by people that might have actually pretty damn good intentions. Small little example, but last Saturday night, I wanted to have a couple of beers. So I decided I was going to have a few. And then when we were in the supermarket, my girlfriend said, hey, I'm going to get a bag of crisps. Do you want me to get the big bag? And I remember thinking, okay, tonight I'm kind of, I'm ticking my values, say, and I don't think about it as consciously as this, but once upon a time I created these. So it kind of goes back to this of like weight management. Cool. Beers can fit into that. No problem. Joy. Fantastic. Love beer. Uh, Flexibility. Cool. Because flexibility requires boundaries. If you don't have any boundaries, then you're never being flexible. You don't know what you're deviating from. And um, say social connection. I was going to have the beer with my girlfriend who's not a big drinker. But then if I had the crisps, the extra bag of crisps, I wouldn't have been honored 
the the weight management value that evening because I would have had way too many calories. I probably wouldn't have honored joy because I would have overeaten and that seldom brings joy. I wouldn't really have honored flexibility because I think that requires negotiation with yourself, a smart negotiation. You can't just do what you want without consequence. And it would have honored social connection, but to compromise three very important core values. And like, this is a very simplistic thing. I'm not saying you need to sit with a checklist and be like, oh, is this honoring that? Is this honoring that? What I'm suggesting is if you know what you largely stand for over a given week, you can make slightly calmer decisions. When I moved to Spain the first time, one of my clients, a very nervous guy, I remember he was like, what if it fails? Like, you don't know Spanish. And I, I do think a lot of people will get a bit upset by that, but I could just see his anxiety and I didn't actually inherently feel he was talking to me. I always felt like he was talking to himself that he wouldn't be able to up and leave Ireland to go to some weird foreign country. And and I get it. I understand it. But when you're, when you're, when you take time for value creation, it makes making decisions in the face of tempting alternatives a lot easier. It's not like it's some utopia where it's like, well, I'm managing my weight now and this is easy. It's like, no, I'm, I'm balancing nourishment and I'm balancing weight management and I'm balancing social connection. So let's say, let's say I have a weight management goal and I start with a trainer. You'll definitely have had this, Caroline. I have no doubt where someone's like, Caroline, I'm starting with you and I'm so sorry, but I have a dinner out tonight and I have a ball tonight and I'm so sorry. And like you said about the apologetic thing. And I think, no, that's, that's, that's not the way to look at it. Your weight management value and your social connection value are now finally in a conscious light coming to the fore. This is the time that you need to learn to manage both. You mightn't get it perfect tonight, but the weight management goal is now at odds with your social connection goal in your mind and perceptions reality. If you miss the social connection that you really want, yeah, you're honoring the weight management goal, but you're making yourself less happy in the process. Is that necessarily worth it? You can still honor both. If you go to the ball and you just go into effort mode and then go off, off the plan for seven days, swearing the following week will be it, you're kind of neglecting the weight management value. And I'd argue you're not even having fun socially anyway because you've lost all mindfulness. So I do think the ability to check in with certain values and see, can they coexist? Are they slightly conflicting? Can they conflict today, but work together in the long run? Um, and and values are arguably, in, in my opinion, arguably the most important component of nutrition. I have a friend in Vietnam. I love him so much because he's not big into nutrition, but he's a very fit guy. And our other friend who has to crush himself to get into shape by his own admission, he just looked at me one day and he goes, does his really unscientific approach to weight loss really piss you off because it works and he looks great? I, we we're joking about it. I was like, do you know what? And there are a lot to be said for knowing your sense of enough, your sense of excess, when you want to eat, what you're willing to forego. Like the dude won't, won't eat like, you know, I'll say to him, do you want to have X? And he'll be like, nah, I don't enjoy X. And it'll just be sitting there where most of us would be salivating at the mouth. But then a cinnamon bun will come out. He'll be like, oh, I love this. I'm going to have this. And he doesn't even think about it, but that's, he's got such deep intrinsic sense of values. Maybe it's his upbringing. Maybe it's where he was raised. He doesn't need to think about it. He never needs to think about it. And for the, those of us who haven't been lucky enough to be raised in such a way, maybe we were shamed about how we looked or are shamed about our weight or we've been in diets where weight was the number one metric and, and shamed about that. There's been that loss of connection and then that needs to be reestablished. So if you haven't been fortunate enough to spend time creating your values, I would make the argument, certainly where I currently sit, that maybe arguably it's more important than calorie balance itself, which I know is a big claim. It drives 
the behaviors though which inadvertently domino effect affects the calorie balance yeah if you can nail those values one thing though i think people the equate especially because now if you go into any corporate space you know my work is going going down the, the route of working with corporates there is a lot of always presentations about goal setting and values and company values and ethos and um, our mission statement, etc. I think people really equate values to this very formal, you know, like I must have this set of, you know, written out. These are the things that I am striving for. I think your values are already there. You may not be acting towards them. You may not be or or prioritizing them as much as you would hope. Maybe there are some behaviors that are intruding or clouding your ability to connect with those values. But I think a lot of us know what our values are. If we really sat down and thought very simply, you know, what makes me happy? How do I like spending my time? And I don't, so if anyone's listening to this and they're like, well, I just don't know what my values are. I don't have time to figure out what my values are. I don't, I I want to live that blissful life that you're describing where I feel relaxed around food. I have that ability to make mindful, considered, logical, rational decisions, but I just don't know what my values are and how am I ever going to find them? Maybe I won't. I would argue they're already in your life, but you just haven't shed enough light on them yet. But I believe that once you do, that's where that decision making becomes easier because you can see and and it's 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 really not about sitting down and getting it perfect or or making it a checkbox exercise checkbox exercise you you are right i think whether you know it or not you're living in alignment with something i just consider things that are important to you that maybe you've forgotten about maybe you love maybe you love the taste of a cold beer and you've always thought that beer was quote unquote fattening so you haven't allowed yourself to have it but maybe that's what drives binge drinking every time you have one because uh, I talked to a friend yesterday who said that he used to binge drink, but it wasn't until he came to Spain that he realized he didn't really have a binge drinking issue. His issue was the fact that he had the what's the point? I've destroyed it now mentality with alcohol, which is a really cruel one to have it with. But yeah, I I, I agree with you entirely. I think everyone's got things that they care about and things that are important to them. I just don't think they're necessarily clear. And I think there's a lot of lack of confidence around them. I think that's why people are so easily influenced when it comes to dietary practices. We all know someone who's been on various diets because somebody else has told them that this is better and this is better. Whereas I think it, it should be a case where nobody should be able to penetrate your current philosophy unless they can offer you a very clear reason um, why life would be better if you were to accept that advice uh, I, again do you know what this can sound a little bit like platitudes though in one sense it can sound like I'm speaking towards some utopia I don't actually think it's any kind of utopia you might still have that food chatter and that inner dialogue it's actually more to help you make um, choices in face of like I say earlier said earlier tempting alternatives but there is also one other argument I would like to make you don't smoke cigarettes right so if I tell you you can't have cigarettes today the angst doesn't rise up inside you. So there's no big problem there. And in in a kind of similar but different way, I think we should be working not with foods itself, but just the general sense of excess. If we can get the excess mindset, that excess, that overeating part, for the most part, about as appealing as something smoking, whereby you don't really have to even overthink it because when you decide to forego going into fuck it mode even though you want to that's when you change 
And then if you change, if you do 20 changes of foregoing fuck it mode, even though you really want to, that's 20 changes. And I think you kind of transform when instead of doing it, not doing it, but wanting to, you now no longer want to. Like a smoker who doesn't smoke cigarettes, even though they want to, that's change. But when they no longer want to smoke and they know that they're not a smoker anymore, they've transformed. And I think it's trying to work to that place where there's no perception of a transgression with food, no matter what the decision being made is, so that you don't actually have anything to fall off. And therefore, it's not on your mind. So you don't actually have to think about it anyway. You know what I mean? I find you will find this under, but so many people are using food as a coping mechanism and almost a numbing quality to it. But you can apply that to to any, everything like Netflix, uh, just watching the next episode, scrolling through social media, um, uh, food in itself. It's that numbing of any kind of thought or emotion. But that's fighting against a whole societal issue and what I don't want to do with this episode is is make this a negative you know these are the problems these are what people are dealing with yes they are but there are also people who don't want to be on that hamster wheel anymore they're tired of making decisions that aren't serving them they might not know what will serve them but they know that what they're doing and the practices that they're they're living their day and their week by are not they kind of they feel that there's something else out there because there's people like you, Paul, who are describing, you know, living a life that isn't driven by by food. Maybe it was in a past life, but it's not now. People feel that there is something else. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And they want to experience that. What would you say to someone who has been on that historic yo-yo dieting? Maybe they're in their forties, fifties, sixties, even, and they feel like they have been. They would say to you, Paul, I've been dieting my whole life. What would you say to that person? I would say first and foremost to try to avoid the other extreme of not completely giving in and quitting or thinking dieting is bad. I suppose my worry with someone who spent a long time dieting without seeing results is is are they taking on crash diet practices? Something that I've been speaking to a lot of clients lately, but probably over the last couple of years is could they potentially separate Caroline the person? from the substrate and the tissue of body fat, could you see it a bit more like a mathematical equation and become a slightly calmer, more strategic observer of your own mind? I think you can tell you can tell a lot about how someone's going to approach fat loss by how they approach a, a weight neutral phase. One of this isn't a rule of thumb as in a hard and fast one, but it gives me a decent gauge as a trainer. If somebody's not willing to engage in some kind of weight neutral practice or period, you might call it maintenance, you might call it you can call it whatever you want. I, I call it weight neutral because weight loss can still happen. It just isn't the primary objective. How somebody deals with weight neutrality is a pretty good metaphor to me for how they'll deal with their quote unquote diet phase because I think a prerequisite to be excited about restraint is to be accepting that you can't always create it. So if you're perpetually in a state of dieting, but you actually haven't gotten anywhere over the years, the cruel reality, beyond my opinion, is that the calorie balance, the finances of the calorie balance world have constantly been trending slightly upwards, which I would suspect there's been really harsh dieting, which has still only really led to a couple of hundred calorie deficit at most, and then periods of giving up and an abandonment of mindless uh, mindfulness, which has led to an excess of calories. 
and then the person identifies with the low calorie diet they identify with the struggle of the low calorie diet so they're not actually lying when they say they're dieting they're just so caught up in the struggle that they miss the excess mindless calories because they can't step back and view the bigger picture whenever i've talked to an older person it ultimately has come down to if they're not willing to step away from weight loss and into a weight neutral phase and that just means expanding the number of reasons to eat doing a little bit of value creation working on some eating skills it's generally a sign that I'm not going to be the man to help them get to where they want to be. I'm just going to be another person putting calorie ma- uh, mandates on them. What I've seen, and this is by no means a promise, I'm just giving an example because this hasn't worked in other cases as well, just for what it's worth. But I've had ladies who sign up to me in December specifically. And when we go on our weight neutral phase, they'll lose a little bit of weight initially. And it's surprising. But really what's happened is slowing down and being connected to the eating experience and then being asked to stop practicing certain skills. Like one little skill, I'm sure you know this, that I've been using for years is trying to ask somebody when, they, when they're when they having something that they love is just what will the next bite satisfy that the previous didn't. So I remember Orla was the one that actually said that to me about eight years ago. And I just thought that's brilliant. And I've I've taken that from Orla ever since. And when clients, this has absolutely happened like more times than I can even tell you where someone will say like I had lemon cheesecake and I couldn't control it for years. And then I had the first bite last night and it was 10 out of 10. And then they had the second bite and it was kind of seven out of 10. It was a bit stale. It was like I had been at the back of the fridge too long. And by the third bite, I actually realized it wasn't nice at all. The sensory experience of lemon cheesecake was not the anticipation. And what you kind of learn is that people often identify with the anticipation of the moment and then lose the mindfulness of the eating experience. And then that line from like anticipation to like overeating is hella quick if you're not tuned into the experience. So that's what I'm trying to get people to do on a, on a personal level is just tune into the experience of eating, no matter whether it's a salad or if it's a cheesecake, can you get the experience of joy? Can you get the experience of gratitude in two different ways? And that tends that's one example of a situation or a skill that as a byproduct of the skill manages the energy balance equation. So rather than having to feel like you're being neurotically compelled to control every calorie in an app, you're actually, you're, you're consciously pardon, practicing voluntary restraint, not on a mandate, but through autonomy. You can have as much cake as you want much cake as you want when you're on bite two see what the next one will satisfy i do this myself i'm on beer two what will the next satisfy yeah i'm in party mode let's go all right what will three satisfy yeah let's do this my hips are moving what will four satisfy okay i'm going into hangover territory this four to five will not be worth it but three to four i'm out baby and and i have found that to be just such a useful exercise. You don't always get it right. That's the thing. This is not another stick to beat yourself with. If it becomes a, I really fucked it up, it defeats the purpose. This is a connection tool. And it's one example. Another one is just to, just to actually check in with yourself and think, do I want this? Like, will this 400 calorie snack right now at 3 p.m. in the day make me any happier? Okay, so it'll satisfy my goal of feeling happy this second. Will it go with my goal of weight management? Not really. Social interaction? No nourishment definitely not it's like oh well it's kind of actually abandoning my all my values maybe i should put the mindless piece of cake away now and save it for when i want it so i'm I'm big on trying to get people connected to like the experience of eating if they can certain skills and questions to ask themselves that as a result of doing them they manage the calorie balance equation and they take care of that as a reflection of what's going on in here but that from 
the inside out instead of from the outside in or fix fixing inverted commas okay. fixing the outside and hoping that it will fix inside as a Bible by working from the inside out that is the thing that's going to set you up for when we talk about the cliche of lifestyle change or that's you you know set for life or those are that's your dieting practices for the rest of your life that's the difference is that you didn't try and fix the shell and hope that the that the brain and the thoughts would follow suit you're working from a different approach well you you that's exactly it because you're going to come face to face with a specific pattern that has derailed you previously in fact, I would almost go as far to say as the coaching client relationship is about bringing you face to face with the thing that knocks you off every diet and consciously choosing a new response. Now, I have noticed that there's a couple of responses. Some clients will ghost, being maybe feeling like they'll be ashamed. And I hate when that happens, obviously, because that's not my style in the slightest. I have no interest in making someone feel small for it because I get it, number one. But number two, if you made me feel small for my shortcomings, if I confided in you, it just wouldn't be a very nice human thing to do. But coming face to face with those patterns can make you maybe realize that normal eating, normal eating, the concept is a lot more imperfect than you might have thought, or that this will never be easy, or that food will always be there. And it's never going to be less tempting. I think that's one of the most powerful ones is that no arbitrary Monday, no arbitrary diet makes food any less delicious. If anything, if you, if you can adopt the perspective of foregoing it being a different kind of exciting so that when you do indulge in it, that it's fantastic. That's when you stand a chance at weight management. But if you notice, Caroline, and it, you know, you're know you reflecting this back to me as much as I'm saying it to you, a lot of what we talk about is it's not calorie balance. That's the concept. It's how can we get someone excited about managing it for the rest of their life where it's not occupying every single bit of mental real estate. So yeah um the like food will always be there and that it's not getting any less tempting on your next dietary attempt is one little philosophy that can get you thinking you know what you're right like i'm never not going to, like i'm never not going to like beer so therefore it's not practical for me to give up and have 20 pints on a saturday i will destroy my relationship with beer alcohol will ruin my life and then i'll just be hung over all week it is much better i allow myself to have three small beers two nights a week and really savor them when I have them. And then you obviously got the argument from the health elitists that are like, oh, alcohol is really bad for you. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Like, duh, but I'm not trying to maximize the health composition of every single meal that I have. I, I remember I met a personal trainer last year, Caroline, and the first thing they said was, how many clients have you got now? And I remember I told them, and they said, and how many in person have you? And I said, six. And they go, oh, don't worry, right, we'll get a plan and get those six people online and you won't have to deal with them anymore. And I was like, I like dealing with them. I enjoy dealing. These aren't these aren't numbers to me, you dick. And and I didn't say it as blunt as that. There and they were like, oh, okay. Oh, you actually want to work with them? Okay. And I think the fact that, like, obviously, I was quite confident in my decision. I could put this person back in their box. But had a younger, weaker, more naive me in a dietary context been exposed to someone speaking that certain, I would have. Just, I'll try it. zero carb for a six pack. You say, oh, that sounds interesting. And then. Lo and behold, four days later, I'd be binging on the very food I had forbidden myself. So there's a, there's a real cruel effect to this that restriction does not engage with the fear. It just completely protects it. And that repression is what brings it back out again in the future. So I think the best thing you can do is allow people to have unconditional access and permission to absolutely any behavior they want 
with the little asterisks of reminding them that there are little consequences, so you might want to slow down. And I have found these coaching methods to, they actually have attracted a kind of a very different kind of client base to me. And it's actually my girlfriend, Orla, that when I say something like, I don't want to say something that might, you know, push away this kind of client. And Orla say, why? You hate those clients. Fuck them off. I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea. I think everyone that does gravitate towards you, Paul, has a similar has a similar ethos. But I just wanted to ask you, sorry, I won't take up too much of your of your time, but I just You're wanted fine. to ask you one question. You've used words in this in this uh, recording: mindfulness, consciousness, slowing down, and describing almost the opposite of the rat race that a lot of us find ourselves in. Yeah. Before we consider dieting as it were do we need to pause i'm not we need to find a way to find calm in that storm i think before you consider dieting i do think you need to weigh up what you think it'll do for you i think there's an element of believing that it'll be the solution that diets you away from all your insecurities but i don't believe a deficit of calories will be the thing that fills the deficit of self-love so i think there needs to be more compelling reasons than just body image in order to diet and i think that pause needs to be taken very carefully i also are very it needs to be taken um, with a very measured step so to speak i also think you need to consider the effects of emotional malnutrition in the first world i know it's very easy to dismiss certain problems as first world problems but with the rising rate of things like anxiety, depression, and now we've got social media comparison. Um, I think it's very easy to assume that happiness is going to lie on some arbitrary outcome that you haven't actually weighed up the consequences in the rest of your life. I talk about things like slowing down in consciousness and mindfulness. It's quite simply because I consider them to be your experience of the thing. That's all it is. I, I don't have any buzzwords. I'm not that well educated. I just have this idea that if you can't slow down and do the thing that's your experience of life right so then if you can't enjoy this meal but you want to diet but you can't slow down and enjoy the next meal but you do want to diet and we agree that being very calculated is a prerequisite for fat loss which i i think fat loss can be achieved healthily that's the irony i'm not some anti-diet practitioner i'm kind of thinking if you can't do the requisite of slowing down to eat and that's too difficult to do, how the hell are you going to engage with those stricter measures that you keep trying? So that's kind of what it comes back to. It's not because I want you to listen to me and think I'm some guru who's got the answers. It's if if being with the taste, textures, and sensations of a meal is too difficult, you really think low carb is going to be better? Is that your solution? I want to know what the first crunch of an apple tastes like. What does that feel like? What, the, what does the, the morning coffee hitting your tongue actually feel like? What does that glass of slightly room temperature water feel like as it goes down into your body? I would be surprised if if the automatic reaction in all of us was to say, oh, I know exactly what those sensations feel. I think it's kind of very much grab and go. So these are just little things I think we can ask ourselves to slow down and then realize that dieting itself isn't going to be the thing, that the experience of the day is going to be the thing. Yeah. So I wasn't picking holes at your word choice. I've just, I'll be transparent. I've just recorded a podcast before that. And we were talking about, uh, specifically about uh, professionals. And when you talk about executives and about 
work in that space, there's certain words that are used like maximize, optimize, performance. Um, it's all about, it's almost, it's this hyper, like high, high caliber, go, 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 go. And to have, this is just a personal thing, but have to, having recorded two podcasts today, one with that tone, and then with you here talking about really spending more time in the experience because that is the experience ultimately that's the things that we will remember that's the things that we enjoy within the day um it's just a my mind is 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 going between the two it's almost like that pendulum what's that thing with the the balls that oh yeah, yeah. That? that's what it fits different messaging and I think we are we glorify and we celebrate the productivity the speed the how much can we do in a day how efficient can we be that we don't put enough emphasis and we don't make enough space in our day and in our minds for the calm and the the rational experience you know you know how much I enjoy the work of Alanda Button. he has some really beautiful philosophies on how the most successful people in life are those who can enjoy the seemingly unspectacular life, who can have a fresh meal, who can sit in the fresh air and just be super happy. He he attributes that to a, a different kind of success. And there's something very calming about it because I know there's all this productivity stuff and I get it and we all want to do well and be successful and power to you. But like statistically, 99.9% of history is going to be mediocre by the very definition of the term. So I think you're going to need to be a little bit comfortable with slowing the hell down three times a day to eat a meal because you can't be that productive and successful that you are that you don't have three 15-minute spells to actually chew your food. That's, that's how I look at it anyway. And look, if you are, you're probably not going to be my client anyway. So power to you. Suck down through a straw for all I care if you don't want to slow down. But I just think it makes things harder on yourself if you're not going to just the just the meal itself obsess less over calories and have a nice balanced plate and sit there and eat until full and nourished and satisfied and like i say if if you run out of time for that i definitely can't help you yeah there's a, there's nothing that will make you be more present by the way in getting a dog oh. it's my absolute the fav, my favorite time of the day and i i do this every day i go and get a coffee i go and get i have a perfectly fine ability to make coffee here but I go and get a coffee and I take my dog for a walk and it's that time of the day that irrespective of what's going on and I am busy and I optimize and I am productive but the time of the day where you're standing in the middle of a field there's mud all over your shoes and you've got a really nice coffee in your hand and your dog looks thrilled is for me that little window of slowing down and I know that maybe that come maybe that sounds privileged. So well, you can adjust your schedule and you can run your day that you know you work for yourself. You can do blah blah. But that's what it looks like for me. You just I believe you just need to find out your version of that in your day. But yeah, it's. Uh, I to- I totally agree. And by the way, I'm I'm not actually slagging product productivity and optimizing that. I'm not. I'm suggesting that if they're your excuses for never actually eating a decent meal. I think you need to reevaluate your priorities. But again, I go back to it, right? Someone will hear this and think, he has no clue what he's talking about. And that's fine. They'll go to a hyper-performance coach who's like crushing the world and power to them. And I, I really do mean that. But there's also a subset of people that, I, I think your business philosophy, you'll know this, 
your business philosophy becomes an extension of your personality when you're in the fitness scene, right? So you kind of, you offer the thing that you felt that was lacking when you were where you were. And there are certain personality types. I'm sure I would drive you crazy. I drive my girlfriend crazy. I, I don't know how this works. And yet it does. But it it doesn't mean there aren't like, really interesting things you know people can learn from one another and whatnot but i think as a as a trainer as someone who has so much respect for a lot of trainers that i know i'll never be like um i imagine me and you would work very differently in certain ways and there's tremendous mutual respect you you're trying to solve the problem i think you needed a decade ago i don't know if you agree with that yes but that's all we to me that's all we can do because you know you then i definitely feel i get that sense of I don't get it often, but I would, I think, get that sense of imposter syndrome if I was trying to yeah. solve something that I hadn't experienced. Totally. Like, if you, did you notice, you know, when, say, James Smith got really popular initially and he's quite strong-willed in his tongue, say, if I called out someone on the internet, unless it was, like, making a certain point about something, and I still don't call anyone out by name or anything like that. I wouldn't be able to sleep that night with anxiety. I don't think I would be able to. So if I tried that tactic, business would stop being fun. I just need my small client base and my quiet reclusive life on the south of Spain. And I'm good. I'm happy. So it really depends on what you actually need from life. Yeah, it goes back to values. Um and you're too good a human to go and trolling people on the internet. I'm absolutely sure. Even if you sincerely thought what they were putting out on social media was absolute garbage and was uh, damaging I don't think you would say anything online in any case behind closed doors maybe um yeah Paul it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining me today the pleasure is mine you're a wonderful host if anyone was looking to find out more about you if they were looking to connect with you which I strongly encourage they do where's the best place to find you um you can find me on Instagram, PaulDermodyBT, and Medium.com, which I'm making a very small and snail-paced push to promote. Medium.com, PaulDermody as well. So they're the two places Medium, that I'm most... Medium's blogs, right? Is that written? No, but Medium was blocked when I, lived in, when I lived in Vietnam. Any of my Vietnamese friends can't use, use Medium because it's blocked over there. But I had to use a VPN to write on it. But no, we're good now, if that's what you mean. Yeah. Is it, are you going to write a book? Is that in the pipeline? Uh, it's not, I mean, okay. So uh, talking to you, like I have it done and I'm editing it currently, but there's that element of, I, I've said, you see, I've said I was going to release it two or three times before and I've never done it. So it's actually done and I'm currently editing it. But every time I edit it, I find something I don't like about it. So I like the essence. I do like the essence I have to say, and it's very genuine and authentic. So I'm kind of actually proud of the content, but I also had a, a writer that I really admire look over some of my work and he gave me really good feedback and said, like, I could totally make it as a writer in one sense, but then he critiqued one of my pieces as being the weakest piece I sent him. And unfortunately that was a little ex- chapter from the book. So I was gutted. So, but I actually also, as much as I like him, I think we, we're like, he told me that he loves all this like dragon and dungeon shit. And I just, I can't imagine anything putting me to sleep quicker. So you have to, even though I respect the guy, it doesn't make him inherently correct. It just means that we have different tastes. If he gives me like sentence structure and too much words, I'll always listen. But if he's like, you talk about, we, you know, we use the pronoun we too much. It should be you. And really I'm trying to take out that kind of holier than thou expert trap thing. So honestly, I hope this all makes sense. This is just what's floating around my brain at the minute. 
Well, I would be the first one to, to read it. My mother would adore it. My your, mother is your biggest fan. <laughs> your mother is very kind. She's a very, very... She's like you. She seems like, from what I can tell from our brief social media interactions, she seems very like you, just sincere and what you see is what you get. That's certainly the impression I'm getting. She's uh, she's listening to this podcast. She is a su- subscriber, so she'll be uh, thrilled. She got a shout out on the, on the podcast. Uh, but Paul, thank you so much. I will link all of your contact details um, below. And thank you so much for your words and for your message. I think it's really important that there are more voices like yours being spread. Well, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for being a wonderful host, as always. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Paul, for your time in recording today's episode. As I say, it's a slightly different take, a very back and forth conversation between the two of us. And those exchanges are really ones that I I step away from in recording an episode like that and feel a number of different things. I feel optimistic about diet and culture and the positive impact that coaches like Paul are having on individuals' lives. I feel really privileged to do what I do and I feel energized. I think we very often we talk about the support network that we have or the circle of people that we have around us and the people that give us energy and perhaps those that we feel take it away. The conversations with Paul and and similar individuals are really conversations that supercharge me and I leave them and I have thoughts racing around my head and it's almost like a bit of a a whirlwind and you leave and think what about this and it's just it's fantastic and I would encourage you that if you find yourself in a situation at the moment and you're not necessarily uh, you don't feel inspired by the the conversations that you're having in your life or perhaps in the people around you perhaps you feel that you're on a journey and others around you can't relate you can craft a community around you and you know, podcasts not that I'm biased but it is my favorite form of content podcasts are a brilliant way to start I think definitely when I was starting out in my self-development journey and I didn't know too many I didn't know people in this world or people that had the similar interests I found that it was a really low uh, low barrier to entry to access things like podcasts and audiobooks and get to hear the thoughts of of people who had an interest similar to me so there you go I hope you enjoyed today's episode and crucially I hope there were some golden nuggets in there and value points I think there's I would describe them with Paul as, as penny drop moments and say he's got a brilliant way with words and so approachable in a lot of his messaging that there's something in there for everyone. I think it's something in there that's resonated with, with everyone. If you would like to show your support for the podcast, there are three ways that you can do that. You can follow, subscribe, or give us a star rating, depending on where you are listening to today's episode. Spotify or Apple Podcasts are the the usual. You can share on your social media platform of choice. We do like to see how far the podcast reaches. Or if you have an individual in your life who you think would benefit from a conversation like this one, send it to them directly. Super, super casual here, listen to this podcast. I found it really helpful. What do you think? Send it over. And as ever, you the listener, thank you so much for your time. Your ears could be on a million different platforms. The fact that you choose to spend an hour of your week 
with us on Health Hacks. I am extremely, extremely, extremely grateful. And uh, I hope you enjoy listening each week as much as I love recording. All of Paul's contact details will be in the show notes below. And as ever, if you're interested in working with either myself directly or a member of my team in our female coaching uh, female coaching slots you can find out more about our program in the show notes below they will be linked and we'd love to find out more about you and your goals but crucially where you want to get to I am interested in your lifestyle now and you know where you are but I'm really interested in where you want to go and it's our job to get you there so As ever, have a wonderful week and we will see you next Tuesday for the next episode of Health Hacks.